0: Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. I hope they play that in the Falcons' locker room right before the game tonight. With Samuel L. Jackson providing the narration. Man, I I love that. Let me read you something. In the summer of 1896, 25-year-old Orville Wright contracted typhoid fever. For several days, he was in a near-death delirium. It would be an entire month before he could sit up in bed and several more weeks before he could get out of bed, and it may be the best thing that ever happened to him. Orville's brother, Wilbur, had taken an intense interest in human flight, and with Orville bedridden, he had a captive audience. Wilbur read aloud to Orville, and that's how the Wright brothers crossed paths with their lion. 500-pound lions often hide within the pages of a book just waiting for a dreamer to flip the page. Your dream may be one book, one page away. Bishop Milton Wright, their father, had quite the library for the late 19th century. The bishop had a holy curiosity about all of life, but he had a particular fascination with the flight of birds, which explains an atypical title on his shelf, Animal Mechanics, a Treatise on Terrestrial and Aerial Locomotion. Say that five times real fast. By the time Wilbur finished reading that book, he had discovered his destiny. The father's fascination had become the brother's obsession. On May 30, 1899, Wilbur wrote the most significant letter of his life, given the chain reaction that it set in motion. He addressed the letter written on Wright Cycle Company Stationery to the Smithsonian Institute, informing them that he had begun a systematic study of human flight. He asked for everything written on the subject, which wasn't much. But one book, now this is French, and I don't speak French, so just bear with me. L'Empire de l'Air, by French farmer, poet, and student of flight, Louis-Pierre Millard. That's my French. Thank you. Thank you. Was like, quote, a prophet crying in the wilderness, exhorting the world to repent of its unbelief in the possibility of human flight, exhorting the world to repent of its unbelief in the possibility of human flight. The Wright brothers had no education, no crowdfunding, and no friends in high places. All they had was a dream, but that's all it takes if it's coupled with tenacious stick Over and over again, the Wright brothers failed to fly, but they refused to give up. They learned from each and every failure until they defied gravity for 12 seconds at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina on December 17th, 1903. The impossible is temporary. The impossible is temporary. Now, when I read about the Wright brothers... I am always confronted with how amazing it is that they discovered, or at least helped to discover as a part of this larger process, human flight. Now, maybe you don't call it human flight because the human isn't the one flapping his wings. But I will tell you that about a week and a half or two ago, I flew down to South America in an airplane at several hundred miles an hour and I was able to to drink my ginger ale and eat my peanuts and it was totally smooth it was the most amazing thing in the world and it was all because you think about it one brother got typhoid fever and the other brother read him a book sometimes the things that seem impossible Sometimes the things that seem huge, sometimes the things that seem completely overwhelming, are actually just one brother reading another brother a book. And when you break it down like that, it becomes a little more manageable. It becomes a little more like maybe, just maybe, this could work if we're just crazy enough to believe that the impossible is temporary. So, over the next few weeks, beginning today, we're starting a brand new series today called Chase the Lion. We've got some of these books for sale out in the lobby. We have a limited supply. They are available online. But I would love for you to pick this book up. It is an incredible book that I promise will challenge you and encourage you and just kind of make you a little bit of that good uncomfortable. And that's what we hope to do over the next couple of weeks. This book is written by Mark Batterson, who's an author and a pastor up in Washington, D.C., And here's what I would love for you to do. I realize some of you work jobs on Sundays and I realize some of you may have travel plans later in the month with the school winter break or maybe you've got other things planned. But I would love for you, if you can make this commitment, to be here all four of these weeks because I genuinely believe that these four weeks really do have the power to change our lives forever. And it's not because of this book, it's because of what's written in this book about another book that really is life-changing. And so this book, he, he talks about a lot of different things, but he really bases the title of the book and a book that he wrote 10 years prior called In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day around really one or two verses of Scripture found in 2 Samuel chapter 23. Now, 2 Samuel 23 has a lot of different names. There's actually about 37 names that are written about in 2 Samuel 23. And those 37 names, a part of them, make up David's mighty men. There's like 30 guys that David, King David, really looked to, relied on. They were his fighting men. They were the ones that when he charged into battle, they were usually out in front. And of those 30 men, there were three guys that were kind of the, the, the cream of the crop. They were the best of the best. They were the best warriors, best fighters. They had David's confidence. And there is a story in 2 Samuel 23. If you've got a Bible or a device you want to follow along today, there is a story about this one man in 2 Samuel 23 verses 20 and 21, that I want us to read today as we kick off this brand new series. This is what we read in 2 Samuel 23, beginning in verse 20. Benai, son of Jehadoah, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And he struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benai went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and he killed him with his own spear. Now this chapter is awesome. And this chapter, if you love movies like Braveheart and Gladiator and other movies like that that are action-packed and they include fighting and just acts of bravery, like this is the chapter you need to read because it would make some incredible movies. Like They could release a movie every July 4th for the next several years just out of the stories that come from 2 Samuel 23. But in this specific story, we have this one guy who does several incredible things, and it's almost stated as if it's an afterthought. Like if you think about what it says, it says that he killed two of Moab's mightiest men, mightiest warriors by himself. If that weren't enough, it says that he also came up against a huge Egyptian. Now, I don't know if Leonard is from Egypt, but I assume that a huge Egyptian is somebody bigger than Leonard or so. And it says the Benai just came up and that Egyptian had this big spear and all he had was a club, which I guess was no match for a spear. A club seems like a pretty good weapon to me. And he stole the Egyptian spear, and he killed that Egyptian with his own spear. And then right in the middle of those two stories, you have this little story about this guy who chases a lion down into a pit. And I'm not sure why it's important that it was snowing, but it was snowing evidently. He chases him down into a pit, and he kills him. Now, I have admitted regularly from this stage, I'm not a hunter-gatherer type of person. Never killed a lion. Maybe some of you have. I have seen a lion. I went to South Africa several years ago on a missions trip, and I was able to see a lion from a safe distance. It was was very, very good. I was not sitting in a pit with that lion. But I'm not a hunter-gatherer, but just think about that. Like at some point, we don't have the full context, but Batterson would... Help us to understand that at some point, this man and this lion had some interaction. Their eyes connected. He saw the lion. The lion saw him or something. And he chased that lion down into a pit and killed him. When one of them came out of the pit, it was him and not the lion. When statistics and probably just our own common sense would tell us it should have been the other way around. In 1920, there was a psychologist, and he was continuing the study that had been going on for a while. His name was Walter Cannon, and this psychologist helped to put words to something that psychologists had been wrestling with for a number of years, several decades, to try to understand the natural human tendency when they felt threatened. And he put words that you and I are probably familiar with to something that is natural for all of us. He talked about the options that we have, our natural tendency when we feel threatened to either fight or flight. When we feel threatened, when something comes against us, when we think that there's something that's going to bring great harm to us, when we're afraid that something is going to happen to us, when something confronts us, we naturally, it doesn't mean we always respond in this way, but we naturally have a tendency to either stay and fight, stay and push back, stay and defend ourselves, or we have a natural tendency to run away from whatever it is that is threatening us or we think would cause harm to us. Now, psychologists have continued to study this phenomenon and they have discovered over the last 90 years or so that there is a third option. Some people don't have a fight or flight tendency. They have a freeze tendency. So when they feel threatened, they they either fight, they freeze, or they flight. And if you think about you, if you think about your life, if you think about when you feel threatened or when something happens that makes you uncomfortable, when something comes against you, you think about your natural tendency. It doesn't mean that you're always going to respond that way. You might have a fight tendency, but you may walk away. You might have a flight tendency, but you may freeze and stand still. But if you think about how you naturally respond in those types of moments then you understand what these psychologists have been studying to try to understand when you feel that threat, when you feel that thing coming against you, when you're afraid of the great harm that may happen to you, you have this natural tendency to do something. And in this passage of Scripture, we can play this scenario out. There is a moment where Benai sees a lion. We don't know if he was chasing the lion, the lion was chasing him, or they just happen to see each other while they're both walking through the woods. They see one another, he sees, and instead of running away, he ends up running toward. He sees that the lion is in the pit, and he runs toward this thing that could cause great fear in most of us. Statistics would tell us that the overwhelming majority of human beings, especially those in the Western Hemisphere, have a flight tendency whenever they feel threatened. An overwhelming majority, 60, 70, 80%, depending on the study, have a flight tendency. It says that for most of us, when we are confronted with a threat, when we are confronted with something that we think could cause us harm, when we are confronted with something that makes us uncomfortable, our natural tendency is to run away from it. And so if that's the reality, then for many of us in this room... We have spent most of our lives running away from the things that we're afraid of. We've spent most of our lives running away from the things that we are afraid of. I thought about several things that I've run away from in my life. When I was younger, I was in elementary school, I kind of ran away from the schoolyard bully. right? That, that guy that was a little bit bigger, a little bit tougher, had a little more confidence wanted to steal your lunch money. He wanted to make you uncomfortable. He wanted to steal your homework, make you do his homework. Whatever it was, he tried to threaten you. He, he invoked fear in you, in me. And I would run away from it until somebody said, no, you need to fight back. And then I got a black eye, and I still continued to run away from it after that, right? I'm not a fighter, right? Well, we run away from the schoolyard bully. You know, there's some other things that aren't really as... Fearful, at least to physical harm, maybe to emotional harm, some of us, we've run away, either in our past or as a pattern of behaviors, we've run away from engaging in romantic relationships with someone that we had our eye on. That girl, that guy, when we were younger, perhaps, or even in present day, and man, we think they're attractive. It, It appears that they might think we're attractive, or at least funny, or something's going on right for us. And it's like, do we cross the room? Do we cross the aisle? Do we say something? Do we give them our name? Do we have a conversation? Do we ask them out? Do we find out what's going on? Do we find out where they're watching the Super Bowl tonight? But we're a little bit nervous. We're a little bit afraid. And I can't tell you the number of times I was in middle school or even high school. And I would see this girl. And I you know, oh, I got this crush on her. I want to ask her out. And I played the whole scenario out in my head. And it just never really played out like that because <laughs> I never got up and approached them. I just kind of got up and walked out of the room, right? This past week, I posted this on Facebook. I dropped my son Cooper off. He'll probably be sitting in the third service and hate me for telling this story. But I, uh, I dropped my son Cooper off to middle school, kind of our morning routine. He and I in the car by ourselves. We've already dropped his siblings off a couple, maybe an hour before. And so I dropped him off. And as he was getting out of the car, in the car in front of us, there was a girl getting out, a middle school girl. And it wasn't like she got out and just happened to notice Cooper. She got out and, like, immediately turned to Cooper. I don't know if she had been checking us out in the rearview mirror or what had happened, but she got out and immediately turned to Cooper. And before he shut the door, I heard her say, Well, Cooper, don't you look cute today? And if her parents are in the room, I need to meet with you right after church today. So I did what any good dad would do I rolled the window down so I could hear the rest of the conversation. They're having a little conversation, right? This girl was about four feet taller than my son Cooper, which is typical middle school, I know. But no, I, I don't know. I asked him after school. I was like, Cooper, what did that girl say to you? He did what any middle school boy would do. He totally lied right to my face. Oh, I don't, she, I don't know what she said. I can't remember like exactly what she was talking about, Dad. I'm, <laughs> right? But I remember those moments. I was, I was nervous. I was afraid. And so I would flight or freeze some of us in our lives it's we're working a job we don't feel fulfilled in that job for a while now we have felt like it was the wrong job but the sense of security that it provided us and the need for a paycheck and just the need for steady work we just we feel like we should quit but we can't yet and yet turns into never. For some of us, we say, I gotta gotta start the job, start the business, write the proposal, whatever it is, but we're so afraid that we do what we tend to do so much in our lives, and we run away from the things that we're afraid of. But what if we all believed this truth today? I've asked them to put it up on the screen. You are one idea, one risk, one decision away from a totally different life. You're one idea, one risk, one decision away from a totally different life. And I realize some of you in the room, you're like, no, no, you don't understand. I'm too old now. Some of you are like, no, no, you don't understand. I'm too young right now. Some of you are saying, no, no, you don't understand. Like, I've got like a certain... Thing about my life, I've got to maintain. I have to hold on to the status quo. I've got to bring in a certain amount of money or I've got to maintain a certain posture in our network of friends and on my job and in my. What if we actually believe? Just for a moment. What if we took that part of our natural tendency and set it aside for a moment and we didn't freeze and we didn't flight, but we just decided, okay, wait, what if? What if? What if a guy really did chase a lion into a pit and kill that lion? What if he really did lock eyes with this 500-pound beast and decide that he had to run towards it rather than run away from it? What if you were just one idea, one risk, one decision away from a totally different life? And I realize you can take this to a really extreme degree that probably causes harm. And so you use wisdom there, but you don't let fear keep you from chasing this. You use wisdom, you use discernment, you use the wisdom of others, you use God's Word. But what if you were just one idea, one risk, one decision away from a totally different life? What's the 500-pound lion that you need to chase? What's that 500-pound lion? What's that big, huge thing, that dream, that God-sized dream that you need to chase? And for some of you, you go, I don't think I have one. So it could be that you just start by asking God to give you something bigger than yourself that requires God to accomplish it. Because I would contend that if it's a God-sized dream, by its very definition, it's bigger than you are. It's bigger than I am. Because if it's God-sized, it's not me-sized, and so I would contend that if it's a God-sized dream that it requires him to accomplish it and he will receive the glory from it. It's this idea of chasing after a 500-pound lion because you don't have any other option. You can't run away from it. You've got to run towards it. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says this. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self discipline. The spirit that God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power. What if we just stopped there for a moment and we said, Well, is my natural tendency to be timid, to be afraid? Or do I believe that the spirit that God placed inside of me gives me power and overcomes my fears? That's the spirit of God. That's the spirit of God. The spirit of God is that you would have power and not fear to go after that one idea, that one dream, that one decision, that one risk that is God-sized. So that God could get the glory for what he desires to do in and through you because when it's God's dream he equips us because he's the one on the hook over the last two months or so I've been wrestling with some God-sized dreams for Canton church what did God want to do in us what did God want to do through us and I I I, I gotta be honest I was I was a little bit timid when I really felt the Lord lay these on my heart and I, I do believe that they were from the Lord When I felt the Lord lay these on my heart, I was a little bit afraid. I was a little bit timid. This is against my nature. I shared them with our staff, and they did nothing to help me because they were like, I don't know, man. (laughs) I was like, I think we might have the wrong staff. I'm not really sure. But they're all still with us. So this past Sunday night at our team night, which is a night where we gather together with those that are serving here at Canton Church. If you want to be a part of those nights, you need to jump into serving in some capacity so you can come and be a part of these really fun, powerful nights. I shared my heart. And it has so often been the case, it was that group of people that encouraged me. I came to encourage them, they encouraged me. Because so many of them walked up to me after it was over and said, We're in. We believe. We believe God can do it. He can do it here. He can do it in this place. He can do it through us. We're in. And so I want to share with you for the next couple of minutes a few God-sized dreams for 2017 that I believe that God wants to do in and through us here at Canton Church. The first of those is that we want to see 15 people on the mission field in 2017. This calendar year, we want to see 15 people get outside of the United States and go and do the work of God in the kingdom of God that's bigger than our little town and our little country. When, when I believe God gave this to me, it was kind of late November, early December. We'd gone to a conference in October, and I'd been wrestling with and praying over some, some things about dreams and dream again and what God may be saying, what dreams God may be planting in my heart. And this is the number that I felt like the Lord laid on my heart. And then right after that, I got invited to go to Columbia, which I went on a week and a half ago. So now the number's 14, all right? And here's what I believe. Some of you in this room, you don't even own a passport yet, and you're going to make it 13, and 12, and 11, and 10, In four weeks on March, I think it's March the 6th, first Sunday of March, we're going to have our Mission Celebration Sunday. We're going to help you to see where some opportunities for you to go around the globe and do ministry. And so some of you need to start right now getting your passport. Okay, Some of you, you're not going to go, but you're going to help fund it. You're going to give over and above your tithes and offerings towards some of these trips so people can go and experience what God's doing there. And you're going to be just as much a part of that trip as you give because they go. And others of us, we're going to join together and pray for those trips and those people and what God's doing there. We want to see 15 people on the mission field in 2017. We also want to see 75 people serving in the local community. Now, when you look at that number, you may say, well, that's not a lot, But that would be more than we've ever had in a year. Seventy-five people serving to meet the needs of our local community. The first opportunity for us to do that is going to be at our Serve Day, April the 29th. It's two Saturdays after Easter Sunday. We're going to gather together. We'll have one in the fall. We've got two in the summer we're going to come together and we're identifying some needs in our community now where we can go out and we can actually affect change. If we want God to actually use Canton Church to affect change in our community, we cannot be content to stay in this building all the time. We got to get out. And we got to go do something to meet the needs of the people in this community. So we want to see 75 people serving in the local community. We want to see 500 first time guests this year. Now you may look at that and go what in the why in the world is that a goal, dream because I believe what it does is it takes our eyes off of the inside of this building and it puts our eyes on the outside of this building. And it helps us to see our friends and our family members and our coworkers and our neighbors who are not connected to a life giving church and they may not even be in relationship with Jesus Christ. And if statistics are true and 80 something percent of people would come to a church at the invitation of a friend, it forces us to all be in it together to get this number of people or more into this place as a part of our worship gatherings and trusting god to do what only god can do in their hearts and in their lives so we want to be a part of getting new people in this place and here's the deal i recognize for some of you you know a lot of people in this church you know maybe most of the people in this church or most of the people in your service and i recognize that now that we have three services you may even feel the tension of well, i don't feel like i know as many people or i see as many people here's what we want you to do okay We want to make it impossible for you to know everybody that comes to Canton Church. I'm going to say that again because some of you don't get that. We want to make it impossible for you to know everybody that comes to Canton Church. We want to make it absolutely necessary that you know everybody in your life group. We want you to know everybody on your serving team. But we want so many new people flooding into this place that there's no way you can know everybody. Because we believe that that honors God. And it honors the purpose that we have as a church. So, 15 people on the mission field, 75 people serving in the local community, 500 first time guests. And before they put the last one up there, let me just say this this is the one that you might have a tendency to read and go, I don't know, that's, I'm not really comfortable with that. Please hear my heart. And trust me when I tell you that my motives are pure in what I'm about to tell you. I want to see 500 people here on a single Sunday. Now, that's that's bigger than we are. And I realize that your perspective of who we are as a church depends on which service you attend. So for most of you in the room, you attend this 10 o'clock service all the time. This is what you think Canton Church is. But there are three services. And there are kids in all those classrooms. Each of the times that we gather together. But this is a God-sized dream for us. It's bigger than us. It requires us to bring folks. It requires us to look outside of ourselves. It requires us to come and gather together. Because what I believe about this number is that every single one of those numbers represents a name and a story, including yours. and Including the people that you know. Our our, our next best opportunity, that's probably limiting limiting God, because God could do it next Sunday. In the 830 I said tomorrow, but I don't think we're all coming tomorrow. But God could do it next Sunday, because that's what God can do. But probably our next best human opportunity for us to do this is Easter Sunday, April the 16th of this year. And I asked the volunteers last Sunday night, and I'm asking you to do the same, to be in prayer right now. Who do you know that needs to be here on Easter? We want to see 500 people come and gather here together on Easter Sunday. Who do you know that is not a part of a life-giving church? They're not maybe not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and they need to be here. And we're going to present Jesus to them unashamedly. You need to get them to this place. And you don't have to wait till Easter. You bring them next Sunday because you never know God might choose to do it next Sunday. And if we don't reach 500 on Easter, then we'll target another Sunday and we'll all come together and we're gonna do it. And if we haven't done it by December, we're gonna have a New Year's Eve service and we're giving out $100 bills for everybody that shows up. I'm kidding, but I really might give out $100 bills if you sit on the front row next week. I don't know. No, because I'm not on the hook for this. You're not on the hook for this. God's on the hook. I genuinely believe this is what the Lord laid on my heart for us. But to see this accomplished, I believe God wants to do what God always does when he's doing the miraculous. He looks at us and he says, do you want to be a part of this? How can you help? How can you be a part of this? Who do you know? So we want to see 15 people on the mission field and 75 people serving in the local community and 500 first-time guests and 500 people in, one of our, in our services one Sunday. And some of you probably think that's impossible, and maybe it is. But I love this quote that Mark Batterson writes in this book when he says this. To an infinite God, all finites are equal. There is no big or small, easy or difficult, possible or impossible. When Jesus walked out of the tomb on the third day, the word impossible was deleted from our dictionary. When Jesus walked out of the tomb on the third day, the word impossible was deleted from our dictionary. Well, guess what? I've got great news today. The Bible tells us that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to me and you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you actually have inside of you the same power that brought Jesus back to life, that removed impossibilities from our vocabulary. So there is nothing that you desire to do for the glory of God in this earth that is actually impossible because of the power of God that does not give you timidity but gives you power to accomplish something great for the glory of God that God is calling you and he's calling me to be a part of and to do with our lives. So to illustrate this, I'm going to need some help. Rick, come here. Leonard, come here. I've already picked on you once. I'll pick on you again. I didn't tell these guys they were going to help. Hurry, 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 hurry. It doesn't matter. Just get up on the stage. I need you up on the stage. Both of you chose not to use the steps. (laughs) I may need new volunteers. (laughs) This requires mental capacity. Come here, Rick. We're going to act like you're a 500-pound lion. Okay? Can you play that part? Let me hear your lion roar. All right, so Leonard's going to play the part of the 500-pound lion. That's believable. You're really going to have to hang with me on this next one, okay? Rick is playing the part of God today. Give me your best impersonation of God. Just think about that one. All right. Now, now here's, here's what I want you to see. A lot of us in our lives claim to believe in God. But few of us actually live in that reality. It creates this gap between our theology and our reality. We say we believe God exists. We say we believe God's word. We say we believe that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And yet, when it comes to God-sized dreams and chasing big things for the glory of God, we don't run towards. We run away. The power, the spirit that God placed in you did not give you timidity, it gave you power. And yet, we see 500 pound lions, and we assume, come over here, God, we assume that God is looking down on us from his heavenly perch as we are pursuing our 500 pound lion we got this dream that we've been harboring in our heart for a long time. We've been holding on to it. God, I want to accomplish great things. God, I want to see great things. i got this new job I want to start, this new business. I want to write the proposal. I want to change my major. I want to get into this relationship. I need to get out of this relationship. It's something big, and and we're chasing it, and we're pursuing it. And we think God is way over there watching us do this on our own. But what if instead of God being way over there watching us chase this 500-pound lion... Come here, God. What if God is walking right beside us, giving us the power to chase the lion because it was his dream in the first place? What if God gave us this dream? What if God birthed this thing in us and says, I want you to pursue big dreams and chase big things. And I didn't give you a spirit that was about timidity and fear. I gave you power to accomplish great things. There was a guy who didn't run away from a lion. He chased that lion into a pit and killed it. What if God's not way off over there? What if God is right here, arm in arm with us? What if God is pulling us to chase after big things? But we're like, no, God, I'm afraid. My natural tendency is to freeze or to flight. And he's saying, no, 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 let's fight for this. It's worth it. It's worth fighting for. You can't understand what's just on the other side of fighting through this incredible god-sized dream because with god nothing is impossible. Thank you guys. Now, I know for a lot of us we say, "Yeah, I mean, that sounds great, but I don't even have this god-sized dream you're talking about." I mean, I just I wrote down a couple here that could be some of these for us. Maybe you you need to start writing the book. Maybe you need to end the relationship. Maybe you need to start the relationship. Maybe you need to quit the job, start the business, turn in the proposal, change your major, fill out the application, go to the audition, or a thousand other things. What if you chose not to be ruled by fear, but you chose to be ruled by the power of God who is greater than anything that you may face. And so I would ask you this question. What can you do this week to begin chasing your dream? What can you do this week to begin chasing your dream? For some of you, I believe that the first thing that you could do or the first thing that you need to do is ask God to give you a dream, to give you something to chase. For others of you, you know exactly what it is right now in this moment. You know exactly what it is. And this week what you could do is you could actually take that first step. Maybe even take it again. Let me give you a word of caution before we pray. I think we all know this, but just just in case you don't, the start of a dream does not often look like the fulfillment of the dream. The fulfillment of the dream for the Wright brothers was flight. 12 seconds. It's flight. The start of the dream was one of them having typhoid fever and the other one reading them a book. And this week, the start of that dream may not look like a whole lot to you. Stick with it. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Trust God. Keep moving, keep pushing. Every time you fail, learn from it and figure out how you can succeed the next time. The start of your dream probably won't look like the fulfillment of the dream. But don't be ruled by fear and don't let failure cause you to stop. Be ruled by the power of God. Let's pray. God, I thank you today for the courage to chase God-sized dreams. And I ask you for every person in this room right now that they would have a God-sized dream. God, for those that may not have something like that, I pray that this week you would give that to them. You would birth that in their heart. For those that know exactly what it is right now, God, would you just give them the courage to take the first step or the 10th step or wherever they're at in the process and not to give up God, help us all to recognize that you are not off on a perch somewhere watching us as we chase our own 500-pound lion, but you are with us, giving us the strength, giving us the power, keeping away the timidity that is natural to us, and you are walking arm in arm with us as we chase after a God-sized dream. God, I pray today that you would help us over the coming days and weeks to share with one another the incredible stories of what you're beginning to do in us and maybe the stories of some things that have already happened through us so that we can encourage others. God, where we made hard decisions, where we chased some big dreams, where we chased down some lions, we, we killed some things out of our past, God, help us to find victory and find freedom like never before. God, we'll give you all the glory and all the honor for everything that you desire to do. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com slash cantonchurch ga.